Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch Blackpool. For more information, please visit ccblackpool.co.uk. Thank you for plugging my book, <laughs> which is, it looks like this, and it's called Overpowering Nemo, which I think you will discover as I speak why it's called that. But it's subtitled, Encountering Deliverance and Walking in Freedom. So, um, the reason I wrote the book is not really because I wanted to write a book. Neither is it anything to do with I wanted to write my story. Incidentally, there's only part of my story in there. Um, The reason I wrote the book was because in trying to help people pastorally over the years, um, people always discount themselves. Well, you know, that Bible verse... It's okay, but it doesn't seem to apply for me. Or people have such battles in the mind that they don't get a grasp of what the truth is. So this is the reason I wrote the book, or the number one reason to try and help people who have the battles that I'm going to speak about. And the number two reason was to try and help leaders to understand the battle that people can have. And the number three reason was to try and promote a sense of recognizing that God does break into our lives in impossible ways, or what seem like impossible ways. He does the impossible among us, and he can do the impossible in your life, or that which does not seem possible for you. So that was the number three reason that I wrote the book. So, um, yeah, if you want it, it's on Amazon and all the bookshops and so on. So Ben said that I'm going to share my story, and that's a little bit of a deception because I'm going to I'm going to share some of my story, and then I'm going to share with you something of the battle that needs to happen to move from that point to a better place. Because I, I believe it's important that we don't just tell stories for stories' sake, but that we tell a story for a reason, and the reason being to find a better place with God. So when I was a youngster, I grew up in um, a very abusive household. It was a life of physical, physically brutal treatment, basically uh, When it was a a thrashing, it was with lamp bases, belts, boots, anything that could be got hold of and that was to hand at the time. Sometimes I was beaten to the point of semi-consciousness. It was a a household of being neglected, so frequently, um, I've got two siblings, I should say, that are younger than me. Frequently, we, we were deprived of food, we were not properly looked after, For example, we weren't washed properly. Um, So at school, I was always the one that had nits in my class. Um, And, you know, until you get to that age where you know how to sort these things for yourself. And being abused in other ways, sexually and so on, by other family members and so on. And then school life was no better. It was uh, a life of getting bullied. often to the extremes. So at one point I was thrown over a six foot high wall. Um, I had my head thrust down the toilet bowl and the flush 
pulled and um, well, back then actually we went like that, that's why we say the first pull. <laughs> Um, and these sorts of things were just everyday life. Emotionally, it was an atmosphere of just volatile, angry arguments and becoming somehow the scapegoat for the entire family. I was the eldest, so I was expected to, to look after the younger two and somehow do the chores and so on. So I was the old one that was always, you're the one responsible. And then my mother had these, she had certain personality disorders, which obviously at the time I didn't realise that. But she had these mind games and twisted rituals. Um, she was very vindictive and did things like lock me in a coal store and so on, um, or an outside toilet that we had then. Lock me in those places and then I came out to do the chores and I just emotionally only f ever felt fear, just unrelenting fear. But mentally that has an effect. Mentally you end up tormented by lies. You're tormented by the effects of the lies that originate out of the abuse. So for instance, all the time in my head I would hear, you're useless, you're stupid, you're clumsy. And the things that, like my father said, you're stupid and you're useless. My mother said I was useless and I was clumsy. And my mother used to say to me, you're mental, you need a doctor. And I'm going to tell you one instance of one of the rituals because I want to speak back into it later. And that is, one of her rituals was every morning for one hour, she would sit me down in the bedroom that I had with my sister and she would say to me just constantly, you are mental, you need a doctor for one hour. And at the end of that one hour, that was it. And then the following day, the same thing for one hour, you're mental, you, you need a doctor. And that went on every day of my life until the day I left home. So these lies begin to instill themselves in your whole being. So lies about who I was, I'm nobody. And I read a book by Jules Verne called 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea when I was about nine. And in that there is Captain Nemo. And he's called Nemo because he's like nobody, nobody knows who he is is unknown to people and so on. And that's when I christened myself Nemo. Nemo is the Latin for nobody. And so Nemo began to take over more and more. I'm the nobody, I'm invisible, I shouldn't be seen. I should stay in the background, I have no voice. These are the kind of lies that fill, fill your whole being. Until the age of 13, I was what was known as a selective mute, which means I did not speak, even though there was nothing wrong mechanically with my voice. I was dissociated and unable to feel any emotion other than fear. At the time, according to psychiatrists, there was no hope of seeing me achieve anything or grow up to hold down a job. I was assumed incapable. I was taken there because I didn't speak. 
I was left to my own devices and I was written off as a hopeless case. So at school I was just left to colour in the corner because I was no problem. I hid in a corner and I, I drew and I coloured. I was brought into God's kingdom, baptised in water and in the spirit and met Stuart at 18 years old, all in the space of one day and a bit. And I don't have time to tell that story, and that's why you need to get the book, really, to read it. <laughs> um, but even though I'd, I now knew God, I was still generally disassociated, although at, th at the age of 13, uh, an amazing teacher managed to break me out of never speaking. I still only spoke in yes, no, and I don't know, so it was really hard work to have a conversation with me. <laughs> um, yeah, life just became a survival game. I was unable to make choices or feel anything good. I suffered suicidal depression and was disabled and broken and damaged in my physical health because of what had been done. So my back, it turned out in later life, was actually broken in three places. And that never got attended to until I was 30 years old. Now, as I began to read the Bible from that first point of becoming a Christian, I recognized inwardly, that God was present with me. I knew he was there. But as I read about a relationship of peace and grace, of power, and a God who cared for me, I couldn't seem to know him in that way. I couldn't seem to know him as a father, or as kind and merciful and full of grace and compassion. Because that was completely outside of my experience. A father was a bully and somebody who you obeyed or else. There was this war inside of me, inside my head, in my whole being. There was this war going on between what I was reading in the Bible of this relationship with a God who cares and is compassionate. And then that didn't match up with my feelings. So my cognitive understanding, you know, my, my head knowledge that I was reading about in the Bible didn't match with what I actually felt and what I'd experienced. And so for quite some time, I just remained unsettled, withdrawn and suicidal. And I had this complete inability to choose. So when you've been brought up in such a background, you, you don't get any choices. So if you're then suddenly given a choice, you can't cope. So I went to the supermarket in, uh, early in our marriage. I went to a supermarket. And these supermarkets, some of the older ones among you will remember, they were never always supermarkets. You just went to a shop and asked for sugar or butter, or beans, and you were given what you were given. But in the 60s, as I'm coming through, uh, the supermarkets came into being. 
So now I'm a young married woman and I'm going to a supermarket and I'm thinking, well, I, I need to stock the cupboards up. And one of the things that was always around was beans. So I thought we must need beans. So I went to the supermarket and there are big shelves and there's Heinz baked beans, Cross and Blackwell baked beans, HP baked beans, baked beans in tomato sauce, baked beans in barbecue sauce, baked beans with sausage, and the, the list goes on. Own brand baked bean. And I stood there and stood there and stood there, and in the end, I just had a breakdown in front of the baked beans because I couldn't choose which one is the right one to buy. Panic. So, anyway, I got better from that. But then it happened again. And it happened again. And it happened again. And then on the way to the fourth breakdown, God broke in. And I did come to a place of real deliverance. And unfortunately, I don't have time to talk about that either. Again, you'll have to read the book. Because what I want to talk about is something that is more... Some people sometimes do need deliverance. And it is a supernatural thing. And this is why I said we should expect that God can break into our lives. And just because we think we're hopeless cases, God doesn't think like that. You know, there are no hopeless cases. There are only people without hope. Put your hope in God. He can break in. And he can break the power of the enemy that's been at work. But for many people, there are these mental strongholds. And when one has had deliverance, or when one has been to the front of a meeting such as this, or at a conference, and responded to, if you want to be set free from this, and you've had a prayer, that in itself is not enough. Because what you need to learn to do is walk in the freedom that you've just been given. God, in that prayer, in that moment, lifts things off us. He breaks the power of the enemy's hold. And then all of a sudden it's down to me now to fight the battle. The setting free moments are very important. They release us into this place of being able to choose. To choose, are we going to believe? Am I going to base my life upon what the Bible says or what I feel? It means I can, I can choose to take on the battle. And the battle does begin in earnest at that point. Because we have to live out that freedom that we've just been given. And we have to walk in it every day. So Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 tells us, For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We've come out of the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of light. That has happened. That's a spiritual transaction. But often we think 
ourselves as still being in that dominion of darkness. But no, there's been a transaction. We've been lifted out of that when we become a Christian and into the kingdom of light. So after the deliverance, for me, came this new beginning towards walking in freedom. This meant being able to recognize that as Christians, we've shifted to this higher authority. Christ has the authority in my life now, not the devil, demons, or myself. Now I had the authority through Christ to choose to walk in a better path. So now I began to recognize the enemy's lies and then overturn them with an authority that comes from him. The authority that comes from him is the truth. Truth was no longer based on how I felt, but based on what God says. The strongholds have been broken, so now the power, to lay, the power lay in my court to begin to think and behave differently. And this is what I call walking free. So Galatians 5.25 says to us, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit or follow the Spirit. We're walking every day. You know, there's no standing still in God's kingdom. There's either walking in darkness or walking in the light. And the Spirit gives us the enabling as we follow him to walk in the light. So this is not about trying to change myself. So I'm not trying to change my thinking. It's about following him and allowing him to change my thinking by the power of his word at work in me. It's about learning to lean on him in all my vulnerability and choose to trust him. I can't set myself free. So, you know, some of the um, therapists that are around try to change our thinking. We must change our thinking. You know, don't think of yourself as useless. Think of yourself as useful. And maybe we can try for a while, but we don't succeed eventually because we're trying to change ourselves. And if ultimately deep down here I believe I'm useless, then I'm not going to change. But Romans 12.2 talks about, um, it says in Romans 12.2, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what that's saying is transformation or metamorphosis is the root word there, which means a complete change into something different. And that's what happens to the caterpillar. It completely changes into a butterfly and it goes through this process in the middle called metamorphosis. It's not changing. The caterpillar doesn't reach a day where it says, oh, I think I'll be a, I think I'll be a butterfly today. It is this thing that it evolves into because it's predetermined that it, that should happen. When we come to the light and we take on the truth, the truth tells us to not conform to this world. In other words, don't keep following the same old thinking patterns. Turn away from them. And it's as we turn away from the old thinking patterns that and begin to take on board the truth that we are slowly, day by day, changed 
from one degree of glory to another and we are transformed. And it's the power of the Spirit at work in his word. So we cannot change ourselves, we cannot heal ourselves, but we can turn away from the things which press in on us from the world, the old thought patterns and so on. And we do our part by this not conforming. So one of the things that um, happened to me was that I used to get, as I said, locked in these places. And in these places, it would be dark for one thing, but in, in some senses, the darkness and the quietness felt safe because you're not in the abusive surrounding. Um, and sometimes our places of hurt and difficulty feel safe because we've not known anything else. And to come out of that is scary. What does it mean to live in the light? What will happen to me? How will I change? But the darkness and the difficulty is not a safe place. But these things subtly refine themselves into our adult being. So my bit of fear of being in these dark places and often, say, in the outside toilet, you could hear the plumbing system gurgling and things like that. And it was a bit spooky when you're a small child. But in my adult being, that meant that I didn't like going in places like that. Dark places, basements where there's a lot of plumbing. And uh, in the wisdom of God, every house we've ever had has had a cellar with all the pipe work for the whole house in the cellar. And so I don't know how many cellars we had that I couldn't go in. And then we moved into the current house some quite some time ago now, which again had a cellar. And the thing is, if you need to turn the water off or you need to turn the gas off, they're in the cellar. The electric is in the cellar. So I didn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't go down there. And these are the kind of things that, that God works on because we're not meant to have a life full of fears, especially of things that are inconsequential like that. So what happens is you begin to see, I'm got, I've got to turn away from this. God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the truth. So I should be able to go into this cellar, but I need God's strength to do it. Now this sounds hilarious, I know this. But this is applying the truth to something that was a stronghold in my life. So it's kind of okay then, I'm going to go down the cellar. So on the first day, I opened the door and closed it again. <laughs> but there was that day when I thought, I'm going to go down a step. And I went down a step. And down this step, I'm thinking, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I only got down one step. And then another day, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I went down a step and down another step. And then that's as far as I got. 
And I could, I could spend hours telling you how long it took me to get down to the bottom of the steps, but I'll cut the story short. There was that day when I got to the bottom of the steps. But then I didn't, I didn't go round the corner and in. And all the time I'm saying to myself, I can do this through Christ who strengthens me because that is the truth. The Bible says that. And just because I think I'm useless and I can't do it is immaterial. That's my thinking. And then one day came when I went into the cellar. And today, our washing machine is in the cellar. Our freezer is in the cellar. Our tumble dryer is in the cellar. Spare washing up liquid is in the cellar. And I'm up and down there all the time. The power of that thing was broken, but not because I changed my thinking, but because I took on board the truth that says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And these kind of things are the kind of things we can be free from. Because the Bible doesn't say we're useless. Just because I was constantly told, you're useless, and then began to tell myself I'm useless, does not mean that is true. It's what the Bible says that is true. And the Bible says that we have been predestined to walk according to his purpose. Therefore, there is purpose to our lives. We are not useless. Not one of us is useless. And so these kind of things, like the cellar, one by one, God began to break them. So I told you about my mother's ritual. Every day, you're mental, you, you need a doctor. So the battle is going on all the time in my head with this whole thing of, you're useless. You're no good. You don't belong in the family. Which was another one of them. Every day, you don't belong, you don't belong. Well, that comes with me into the church. I've now come into a church that is family. But of course, I don't belong really. So, because I didn't belong, I was the one that didn't stick around, you know. You've had a coffee time in the middle of your meeting. I'm not sure how I would have handled that. <laughs> See, we used to have a coffee time at the end of our meeting. and still do. But at the end of the meeting, I would run off straight away and run home. Because, well, I don't belong. So I shouldn't be there. And nobody will talk to me and I... I couldn't talk to people very well. Yes, no, I don't know. He's very limited. But then this day came where I'd had this sense of God wants this to break. Maybe I should stick around. And I wore a wristwatch at the time and I used to think, I wonder if I can stay in my seat for five minutes. So I... <laughs> I stayed in my seat for five minutes, and I'm literally like this with my watch, timing myself for five minutes. And I'm saying to myself all the time inside, you belong here. This is God's family. And God says, you have been adopted into his family. That's what the truth is. 
you have been especially chosen from before the foundation of the world to be adopted into his family. I'm telling myself things like this constantly for five minutes. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is your family in God. And I'm going on and on for five minutes. Five minutes is up, ding, and I run out. <laughs> and I did that every week. Right, five minutes. And inside I'm saying to myself, you belong here. You have been adopted into God's family. And so on. <laughs> for another five minutes. And then one day I thought, I wonder if I can do it for ten minutes. So here we go. Challenge, we're going to do it for ten minutes. And I had a number of weeks where I did it for ten minutes. And then one Sunday, horror of horrors, someone came to talk to me. <laughs> and this person came to talk to me and it didn't last long because I was, yes, someone, I don't know. <laughs> But it was the beginning of sticking around longer. And then even things like even things like serving in the church, you know, the way I was brought up was you do all the chores, me. I do all the chores. So that has now been refined into my adult being. And I've come into the church and well, the only reason I'm here is to do all the chores for everybody. So I was the one who cleaned the toilets every week, did the washing up every week, all the things where you could be on your own, but you were doing the chores for everybody else. And listen up. Sometimes you have people in the church like that who do all the chores for everybody else. But sometimes, you know, they're hiding behind that tea towel or that mop bucket. And you need to help them out. And then sometimes it was, oh, perhaps you could, oh, well, I've got to because I do the chores, but that means I'll have to do it with somebody else. And so gradually I am brought in to this family to the point where obviously today I know who my family are. My family are the church. I know who my father is. God the Father. I know these things are true and feel these things are true because over the years God has changed me. So these are the kind of things we have to do. Demons can be told to go, but truth has to be walked in constantly. So in my being set free for, for instance, the spirit of rejection, there has been an ongoing walk with him of hearing his voice, hearing his truth that declares to me that I am a part of his body. I'm chosen and called by him. I have to reject the lies of rejection. John 18.3 says, Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And John 10.27 says, My sheep hear my voice. It is about taking every thought captive. And as we get hold of these thoughts, we bring them out of our old man and we say, no, that is gone. That is past. A 
And you know, this is why baptism is hugely significant, water baptism. Because it is a point in time where you can say that was where I died with Christ. You know, when we become a Christian, we are putting ourselves down. We are saying we die now to, to our old lives. And now we are going to live with Christ. But when we are baptized, we are giving this kind of picture of that to everybody around. We are saying this is what I have done and this is what I'm demonstrating today. I am dying with him, like when you go under the water. My old life has gone. And then when we come up out of the water, now I am raised with him. I have a new life in him. I am a new creation in him. And we're demonstrating that when we get baptised. So when we have these battles with the experiences of the past... If that's something that's happened to us, I can turn around and say to the enemy, no, I'm not listening to that. That is the old me, and I left the old me at the bottom of a baptism pool. Now I am a new creation in him. Now I am part of the body and the family. Now I am accepted in him. Now I am no longer useless. I can say these things back to the enemy. And so if... Baptism is something that's not happened for you. I just want to encourage you to think, yeah, declare something before the enemy and before God of who you are in him. 2 Corinthians 10 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We don't allow the enemy to keep on twisting the truth. We do have authority to challenge the enemy. He wants us, he, the enemy, wants us to be fearful and voiceless. The enemy sets himself up as the authority in our lives. But no, we've been taken out of his dominion and now we do have a voice. The enemy is no longer an authority in our lives. God has the final say, as the song tells us. So, you know, my mother's ritual, every day, every day, every day, in the winter months, you didn't have central eating back then, in the winter months, she would put a little electric fan eater on it's the, like the 1950s style fan heater. And um, I used to stare at this fan heater every morning while it's going on. You're useless. You're mental. You need a doctor. Um, but anyway, fast forward some decades later, and my sister and I are um, having a tiny little break after helping mum to get through the whole process of going into a care home and so on. And we're having a, a little look around this antique emporium. It's rather galling, isn't it, when you go around an antique emporium and you see all these things that were there in your childhood. It makes you realise how old you are. Anyway, I went around all this stuff 
And I rounded a corner, my sister was somewhere else in the building, and I rounded a corner and there was this fan heater, exactly the same fan heater that we had as when I was a child. And you know what happened? As soon as I saw it, my brain said, you're mental, you, you need a doctor, because of the connection. And sometimes, and this is what happens with PTDSE, you... Your brain is this amazing, amazing, there's no computer like your brain. Nobody yet has invented one because your brain is better than any computer and it stores everything, right? So sometimes things will happen to you and you can allow them to make you go down because your brain makes the connections and brings them back. So as I looked at that fan heater, immediately my brain made the connection and said, you're mental, you need a doctor. But I then have to do something with this that I'm now hearing. And I was just stood there rigid for a minute or two. And then my sister reappeared and she could see that I was really, really white. And she could see what I was looking at. And she just looked at me and I said, that has gone. And I'm not really speaking to her, I'm speaking to the enemy, saying that has gone. But she said to me, yes, that's all in the past. Because she knew what was happening. And I said, that has gone, that is no more. And I'm saying to the enemy, it's at the bottom of the baptism pool. That is not the truth of God. And so sometimes we have these experiences where our brain will suddenly make a connection and stick something not nice in our heads. But then we can choose to respond to that and to answer the enemy back. So we can speak back to the things that have held us and brick by brick we demolish the strongholds. But it's not in our own strength through relationship with him and the work of the spirit in us. It's his divine power that works in us. So the weapons of our warfare include the daily walking with him, the spending time in his word, getting to know it, letting the power of it affect our lives. It includes prayer and the leaning on him and the going to him with our cares and our difficulties, as well as honouring him and praising him and learning to depend on him for our needs. These things are all part of our armoury and the warfare that we are in involves training our minds to daily overcome the old man and live the new person we're meant to be. That is what's pictured in our baptism. The old has died with Christ and now I am made new as I am raised with him. And we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, as well as places in Ephesians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away, and behold, new things have come. So as Christians, we don't need to carry the baggage of our past into our future. Rather, the baggage is taken from us. It's gone, it's passed away, it's left at the bottom of the baptism pool. And our future holds newness. It holds strength in God. 
You know, when Jesus was in the wilderness, he spoke back to the suggestions of the enemy with the truth. And he set us an example by saying, back to the enemy, it is written. And sometimes you'll hear me kind of saying, and you, you know, some people might wonder what's happening, but I'm hearing something in my head and I'm saying, it is written. So when the enemy offered Jesus some, something to eat, turn these stones into bread, you've got the power. Jesus said, it is written, you shall not live by bread alone. And then, you know, when we do feel bad, when we do feel under attack, when something's going on, we can do what David did. I'll just close with this. We sang it in a different kind of wording today. David said to himself when he was up against it, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, or because of that, I will remember God. And we can speak the truth to ourselves like that. John 8, 36 says, If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So some things may be instantaneous when we pray, but many things are this process over time as we bring our thinking and our mindset into line with the truth. In it all, God is the restorer. He's the redeemer of all that has been destroyed. Everything that's been eaten away and crushed over our past years, he can restore. Yeah? He can restore. He is the restorer. And he can bring us into that place where we are a new creation. So I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to ask Ben to come back. Thanks for listening. I just want to encourage you to Get hold of what that baptism meant. I have died, but now I'm rose, risen again, a new creation in Christ. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, I don't want to move on without us, us just having some time just praying. Um, why don't we all stand? We'll stand. Actually, I'm going to ask some of you to be to be brave. If if as Ginny was speaking, some of the things she was saying resonated with you, um, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in a second um, as a response. Um, you know, maybe maybe especially I think um, especially maybe you maybe something's happened to you in your past. I'm not going to ask you to tell me publicly what it's happened, what's happened. Maybe something you've done or someone's done to you. Uh, has happened to you, and you know that the enemy has a stronghold in there. That's affecting, you know, you you feel you 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 resonate with that that story of not being able to go down to the cellar, or that being froze by uh, a heater. That that resonates with you. I I God, I don't want us to leave it. But God wants to bring freedom from that. God wants to bring freedom from that. And the first part of that is you acknowledging that. Maybe the that God's brought light upon that this morning. And acknowledging that and saying, declaring, declaring, I am a new creation.
creation. The old man is dead. The old man is dead. I am a new creation. And secondly, if you don't know that you are new, if you don't know Jesus, actually, you can know him right now. You can say, Jesus, I want to know you. I give my life to you. So does anything, does, does, does anyone want to respond to prayer for, for what, what was just brought? Just raise your hands. Just raise your hands. Just be brave and raise your hands. I know there's some. I know there's some. I'm patient. I know there's people. I know there's people who, who suffer from fear and anxiety. People who suffer from, thank you. There's people who suffer from, from lots of different things, actually. And you know, you know you, that's not how God has created you to be. It's not what God has for you. And he, he, wants, he wants, he's got better for you. He's got better for you. Okay, for you, you, you three or four people who've raised your hands, well done, thank you. I, I'm going to, Ginny, would you pray for us? Could you pray for us, please? Um, yeah, and please, um, don't leave. Yeah. I just want to encourage one more thing in you. It's not all about the battle in, in the mind in terms of mental health. You know, when our health is challenged physically, God can, God can bring something into that. God can break into physical health situations as well. I just want you to reach out for that as well. You know, I was left in such a manner that I was disabled. Told that I'd be in a wheelchair before I was 40. Had to go through some horrendous back surgery to put all these pins in and hold it together. They're still there. And that still didn't leave me in any better place. Except less pain. But there came a day when God broke in and God lifted me totally out of that to the point where I was able to bend down, touch my toes. I was able to do everything normally. All my mobility came back. Don't just expect that God is someone who moves on, on the thought processes. He moves on our physical body. The Bible says that he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will powerfully work in your physical body. He is able. He can break in. So, Father, I thank you that you are able, that you are the one that works in us, that when we are unable, you are able. And so I pray for each one here, Father, I thank you that you care, that you are compassionate, and that you are the healer. And so, Father, I pray, will you help those who battle in their thinking processes? Father, I pray, will you help them to get hold of your truth? Father, I pray that even today, some line of your truth will come into their being, that you have especially chosen them from before the foundation of the world, that you have adopted them into your family, that you have written your, their name on your heart that they belong to you. 
And Father, I pray that you will bring them through to knowing the newness of being the new creation in you. Bring them through to that place of freedom, Father. I pray for any kind of spiritual things that the enemy would try and throw at them, Father. I pray for any spirit, spirit of rejection, any spirit of suicide, Father. I say, go in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for people to be released from those things. For them to know that you have accepted them in the beloved. That you have purpose for their life. And Father, I pray, will you bring full release. And Father, I pray for those who struggle with physical health. And Lord, I pray, will you powerfully work in their physical bodies. Father, we know that you are able to bring life to the dead. And Father, I pray, will you bring life to those dead areas of our bodies, even now this morning. And Father, I just speak healing, physical healing into this gathering by the power of your name. And Lord, I pray, I pray, Father, for a real sense of we have died and now we have been raised with you. Now we are seated with you in heavenly realms. Now we are a new creation. Now we walk in your light. Father, I pray for the, the revelation of that to fill each one of our spirits in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more information, downloads and podcasts, please visit ccblackpool.com.